Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. This morning, we are at week number five of our series, Detour. There are two great passages of Scripture in the New Testament that are called greats. Both of them are found in Matthew's Gospel. One is called the Great Commandment. The second, the Great Commission. As I understand uh, the New Testament, I don't think you can fulfill the one while neglecting the other. In other words, they are both great in the sense that they are equal in their greatness, but they're also equal in their importance. Now, here's the first, great, the great commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. A religious leader came and said, Teacher, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So of all of the rules, which is the most important rule? And here's how Jesus responds, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to notice that the great commandment has both a vertical and a horizontal trajectory. In other words, the great commandment is both outward and upward, but it's also inward. Jesus here says very clearly, love God, love people as yourself. Now, in Jewish scripture, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself was seen as a way to prove your love for God. So what Jesus says here is this, love God first, and then he says this, there is a second way to say this. It is not second as in number one, number two, it is second as in it's another way to express this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you love your neighbor as yourself, you are in a sense loving God. Now when the Bible says and speaks of neighbor, when Jesus talked about this, you've got to think more than the families that are living on your cul-de-sac. That's not what neighbor is talking about. Jesus, when he uses this word neighbor, is referring to all with whom we are in relationship. Everyone that we are in relationship. So it's your family, it's your friends, it's strangers, and yes, it's even your enemies. All of them become part. According to Jesus, our neighbor was anyone that was in need. And so the reality is this, that that our love for God is really cemented in our love for our neighbor as our own self. In fact, we can only claim and lay claim to our love for God to the degree that we actually love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus' youngest disciple, John, cemented this idea in his first epistle when he says this, 1 John Chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot see God. So how can we love God if we don't love the people 
that we can see. The second great that we read in the Gospel of Matthew comes just a few chapters later. It's some of the final words that Jesus speaks before his bodily ascension back to the Father. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse number 19. Go, make disciples of all nations. I introduced this verse in the very first week of our series as our catalyst verse. Because what Jesus here is doing is Jesus here is giving us the big priority that he saw for his church, for us. This is not the great suggestion. This is not the great alternative. This is not even the great vision of Jesus. This is the great commission that Jesus gives. And according to Jesus, discipleship is the mission and mission is discipleship. So in these six words, Jesus actually offers three invitations to us. First of all, we are invited to go. We're invited to go. The word appears in the present active tense, and so it literally means as you go or as you're going. To be a disciple, a fully surrendered follower of Jesus, suggests that you're already going. In other words, it involves our going. I hear people talk about, I will go if God calls me. God's already called us. And so unless God calls us to stay, we are called to go. And we are called to a second invitation. We are invited to make disciples. Jesus invites us to actually join him in the work he's doing. So you can think of it this way. Discipleship is the great co-mission that we partner with Jesus in doing here on the earth. The third invitation is that we are invited to all nations. We're invited to all nations. There is no exclusivity when it comes to the people that Jesus loves and cares for. There is no favoring one ethnicity, one people group over another. What the Bible says is this, discipleship means that I will go to every person in every place by every means. We will take the gospel to every person in every place by every means. Discipleship is actually the result of mission. But we make disciples by means of mission. And what we want to do in this series this morning is we are pivoting to the idea of mission and what it's about. It is about making disciples. But it is about something that we get to do here on the earth that we are actually given an invitation to do by Jesus himself. Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 20 says this. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. 
There are a lot of people who are intimidated by the idea of going. But even more so, people are intimidated by the idea that they are called to preach everywhere the gospel of Jesus. In some ways, we tend to think that the preaching of Jesus is relegated to those who are credentialed clergy. Or that somehow it is the responsibility of vocational church workers. That is so far from what Jesus had in mind. The invitation was not just to the apostles, to the 11 remaining. It was to all disciples. And it was the disciples who went out everywhere. And what were they doing? They were preaching Jesus. Their lives were preaching Jesus. Their love was preaching Jesus. Someone said it this way, preach the gospel wherever you go, and whenever necessary, use words. We preach the gospel so much more without words than with words. And so you and I, all of us, are invited by Jesus, into his mission. And that mission is that we are workers together with him. Here's today's detour road sign that we often see, workers ahead. When you're driving into a detour, you'll often have a sign warning you. It used to say, men at work, but we no longer say men at work. We now say workers ahead because these workers can be male or female. The idea is that we want to be aware that there are people that are doing a job. You and I are called to participate and partner with Jesus in the work that he is doing right here on the earth. And that is the Great Commission. Let me give you the big idea today. If you remember nothing else I say this morning, I want you to walk away with this truth about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not about places. The Great Commission is about faces. It's about people. Discipleship is not about places. Discipleship is about faces. It's about people. We're not making disciples of places. We are not called to places. We are called to people. So there has been a theory that has been suggested. It's actually been mathematically supported, and the theory is that we are perhaps less than six degrees of separation from everybody on the planet. It's also known as Uh, The six handshake rule, which we are not doing because of COVID. So we'll call it the six fist bump rule, okay? That we are somehow socially connected by less than six people to everybody on this planet. It's almost hard to think that that can be possible. But social media has actually made that plausible, hasn't it? That we have a friend of 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 a friend, and somehow there is a connection to everybody in the world. Now, I was made aware of this more recently when I got connected to a young man who's living in Kenya, Africa. 
he actually found our church ministry digital library on his own village library where he goes to read and to study and to use the internet. And he somehow came across the services of Grace Crossing Church. He and I have been connected. His name's Timothy. Timothy, at the age of nine, lost his parents, both of them, in an automobile accident. He was raised by his grandmother. Today, he's 22 years of age. He now raises his grandmother by selling peanuts for 170 Kenyan shillings. Basically, $1.70 a day is what he makes. But he's got an aspiration. His aspiration is that he's going to go to a local university in Kenya. He's going to become a data scientist. And then he's going to get a scholarship to Princeton University, where he'll get a master's degree. This is his ambition. This is what he's believing for. Today, this morning, Timothy is actually teaching the youth class at his local church in Kenya using material from our broadcast that he got through the library. And I just want to say it is a remarkable thing that what we thought that someday wouldn't it be nice if we could Wouldn't it be nice if we had a larger reach through a broadcast? Wouldn't it be good someday? Well, COVID put that from the back burner onto the front burner. And now we're not just reaching the walls of our church. We're reaching community. We're reaching beyond there. We're even reaching the far reaches parts of this world only because God has set it up to be possible. Here's the point. The Great Commission's not about Kenya. The Great Commission is about Kenyans, young men like Timothy, who God has put us in their life for a reason, to help pour in and shape them becoming fully surrendered followers of Jesus. And how did Jesus characterize his mission? When Jesus talked about his mission, what he was here for, how did he characterize it? Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse number 10. He says it succinctly. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what was it Jesus had in mind when he used that word lost? I think that Jesus had that word lost in mind in two senses. I think he was using it in an eternal sense. He was also using it in an earthly or an immediate sense. According to Scripture, someone is lost eternally when they place their trust in themselves rather than placing their trust in Jesus. But immediately, people are lost when they become disoriented and they lose their way in this life, and they simply are struggling and groping in the dark for some sort of purpose, direction. Their life has become meaningless. And what Jesus here is doing is he's saying, I have come for the sinfulness of people, but I've also come for those who have become disoriented. He said, I, my mission was I came because of them, and I came for them, that I came to seek and to save people 
both in their sinfulness and in their disorientation. Listen, lost people is the mission of Jesus. Lost people is the mission of Jesus. And when you read the Gospels, what strikes me is that lost people felt most at home and accepted in the presence of Jesus. It's amazing to me that we who are to represent Christ, sometimes we repel the very people that, were, that Jesus attracted. They, he was like a magnet for them. And so what does Jesus do? He often hung out and spent time with lost, disoriented people. And he got criticized for it. The religious leaders didn't like it, not one bit. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Tax collectors and sinners were all crowding around to listen to Jesus. So the Pharisees and the teachers of law of Moses started grumbling. They started complaining. Here's what they said. This man is friendly with sinners. He even eats with them. How dare he? In response to their criticism, Jesus actually tells three stories. He gives three illustrations of why he was doing what he was doing. These are called parables. He tells the parable, the story of the lost sheep. He tells a parable of a lost coin, and perhaps the most notable is a parable he tells of the lost son. In the parable of the lost son, Jesus actually likens God's love to the fierce love of a father who's been disconnected from an estranged child. And here's a verse that jumps out at me as I read it that illustrates how Jesus feels about his pursuit of lost people, his love for them. Luke chapter 15, verse number 20. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Listen, love says, I see you. Love says, I feel you. Love says, I will pursue you. Love says, I accept you. And love says, I celebrate or delight in you. Jesus actually tells the story about a father who opens the door of his heart and he opens the door of his home to someone who was lost, somebody he cared deeply about. In this sense, it was the child that he had. And God feels that same level of love for every one of his creation. He cares about them. He sees them. He feels with compassion for them. He actually says, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to accept you, and I'm going to delight in you. That's what love does. That's what love says. This door that the Father opens is pretty powerful because Jesus actually likens his ministry and his mission to an open door. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who goes in through me will be saved 
from the punishment of sin. Now notice he will go in and out and he will find food. Our primary responsibility in the Great Commission is that we are to help people find their way to the door. We are, to, we are to come alongside of lost people and help them find their way to the door and find their way to Jesus. Samuel Shoemaker was an Episcopalian minister actually in the early part of the 20th century into the mid part of the 20th century. He lived in New York. He said his mission was for the down and outers in his words. Samuel Shoemaker was responsible and influential in the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was through his influence that he saw an organization started to help people that were addicted to alcohol and other life-controlling substances to find recovery and to find freedom from those addictions. In fact, Sam Shoemaker was the individual who actually helped shape what are called the 12 steps of AA that are still used today. The first three steps, he specifically influenced and shaped, and they're simple. I can't, God can, so let God. I can't, God can, so let God. Near the end of Shoemaker's life, he wrote a poem. It was a poem actually about his own life. And the poem was simply entitled, So I Stand at the Door. I want to read just a few excerpts from the poem because the words are convicting. The words are compelling. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside, and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to man's own touch. Men die outside the door. As starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand at the door. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture in a little further. 
but my place seems closer to the opening. I admire the people who go all the way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in, that they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far from men and as not to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended, intending to put on the latch so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. Jesus said, I am the door. Our mission and our purpose is to help people get to the door and to enter through the door and find Jesus as the only hope and the only life that they can have. So Jesus said his mission was for lost people. Let's look back at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. When you hear those words, seek and save, think search and rescue. Jesus said, I came to search and I came to rescue those who are lost and have become disoriented. It was last year in 2019 that we all, I think, if we were tracking with the news, were watching in horror as the Syrian regime was attacking its own citizens and actually were doing incredible damage, not just to facilities and buildings, but to human lives. In Aleppo, I'll never forget watching the scenes of the destruction that was happening in Syria. There was a group of mainly volunteers that actually were the first responders to come in. They were known as the Syrian Civil Defense, or what they became more known as are these kind of people. They were just simply called the White Helmets. They were the first ones in. They were going to seek and save. They were going to search and rescue for every single life that had been lost. Every life, person that had become disoriented, they went to find them. As I pray for Grace Crossing Church, I pray that we will be a church and a people who put our love for God on display by loving our neighbors as our own self. I pray that we will be a church that is about lost, disoriented people, broken people who need to find their way to God who've become disoriented. I pray that we will be a church of white helmets, people that will be the first responders on the scene to do search and rescue and not be intimidated by people's brokenness or lostness, but rather to connect to them, to let them know that there is a door and we'll help them find their way to the door. 
where they can find true life, true purpose, and true hope. Those are only found in Jesus. Jesus told us to go make disciples. He wants us to be a part of his mission to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that you will help us to hear more than just words, but help our hearts to be moved by your word today. Help us as we reflect, Lord, upon your calling and your invitation to go to make disciples of all nations, that we, Father, will do our part, that we will be ready and positioned to go, that we will be ready, Lord, to be discipled and to make disciples, and that, Father, we would consider no one beyond the reach of the door, that we would go, Lord, and we would look in the rubble of sin and disorientation for every person that we can help find their way to the door. That's your mission. That's our mission. And we pray that you'll help us and enable us to do it. We pray it in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.